Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who oddly enough has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive in to all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of What The Bump. Today, I am super excited for this episode. I feel like I kind of say that every time I start one of these recordings, but I truly am. I have Sam back on the podcast and Sam actually is from episode 12 of the podcast where she shared her first time pregnancy journey, basically. I believe she was just in her first or second trimester when we recorded that podcast. It seems like it was so long ago, but Sam is now two weeks postpartum. She is here to tell us all about her birth story, basically going into labor and all of that amazing stuff. Sam is one of my best friends from high school and I am just so excited to have her on the podcast. I cannot wait to go home for the holidays and meet this baby boy, but let's go ahead and listen to Sam's birth story. Also, I'm going to apologize right now. Every time I do one of these recordings, my audio is just a little bit choppy, as well as the fact that my Wi-Fi was out this day. So I was hotspotting my phone to my laptop to Zoom to record our Zoom, basically record our Zoom audio. So I apologize if it sounds a little bit choppy at some points. We did the best we could. It actually did not turn out bad whatsoever. But just a little disclaimer there because you guys might be wondering why some of my recordings don't sound too good. And like I said, you know, I'm just still trying to figure this all out. So bear with us and let's jump into Sam's birth story. So today we have Sam back on the podcast. She is here to tell us her birth story. And if you guys did not listen to the podcast that we recorded while she was pregnant, you need to go back and listen to that. But Sam is here. She is exactly two weeks postpartum and she is going to tell us her birth story and just kind of finish up from where we had ended the last podcast. So thanks for being here, Sam. I'm super excited to hear your entire birth story. Yeah. Thanks for having me at 37 weeks. Actually this I'll back up at my 34 week appointment. Um, this is when I had my last ultrasound su- supposed to have my last ultrasound for my entire pregnancy. And this is where they found that my baby was measuring a little bit small in his stomach and everything else was looking fine. Um, and I think that they said that he was in about the 13th percentile for his stomach. Um, and that was just the way that they were measuring it, but they were a little bit concerned because if it drops below the 10th percentile, then that can be, um, somewhat of an emergency. So they wanted to monitor me a little bit closer. My doctor had me come in at 37 weeks to do another follow-up ultrasound to measure his stomach again. So I went in at 37 weeks. This was a Friday and my husband went with me and actually these extra ultrasounds that I was able to have were actually really nice because obviously during COVID, during my OBGYN appointments, um, they wouldn't let him in unless I was having an ultrasound. So the only way that he was allowed to come is if I was having the ultrasound and then he would have to leave the room before my doctor came in. So it was actually kind of nice to have him in there. Um, so it's 37 weeks. I went in, it was Friday, I went right after school. Cause I'm a teacher. We actually put the car seat in installed it into our car, just in case that something were to happen. And our doctor didn't even warn us of anything that could potentially happen. She just said that she wanted to measure it just to check. And she didn't say that, Oh, there's a possibility of you being induced. She didn't say any of that stuff. She just said that there was a concern. So I just in the back of my head was like, we should probably be extra careful um, and just extra prepared just in case something happens. Well, something did happen. And we went in for our 37 week and the 
the ultrasound tech said that his stomach was measuring small again. And I didn't know how small that was until my doctor came in. And so my doctor came in and Seth was actually allowed in the room this time, which was really nice because she came in and she said, Hey, your baby's stomach dropped from the 13th percentile down to the third percentile. And you guys need to go to the hospital because there's a good chance that you'll be having your baby soon and you have to be induced. So at that point, we were obviously freaking out. Didn't really know what to think. I mean, we went into this appointment thinking that it was just going to be a routine checkup. And then we're being told that we need to go to the hospital to potentially be induced and get a second opinion. We went home, we just prepared as much as we could mentally and packed our bags. And we went to Chick-fil-A because we obviously had to get Chick-fil-A before you go into labor. That's great. And um, then we went to the hospital. So we got checked into triage and I had never been to the hospital before. So at this point, I'm kind of panicking, kind of not didn't really know what to feel. We were excited, nervous, everything. And we just didn't know because at that point, my doctor said that since I was 37 weeks, there's a good chance that I would be induced, but she wanted a second opinion from the maternal fetal medicine. So we got there, checked in triage, and they essentially just told us that I had to stay overnight to be monitored. And the next morning, um, maternal fetal medicine would come in and do another ultrasound to get a second opinion. So we were kind of, uh, we didn't really know what to think at this point. We were being told that there was a good chance I would still be induced the next day since I was already 37 weeks and considered term at that point. So we had to just stay overnight and they said they were going to monitor me, but they really didn't. They just had to stay in a room, stay overnight, and then just wait for the morning for maternal fetal medicine to come in and, and take me for an ultrasound. So stayed there overnight. And then in the morning they came and did another ultrasound. And even the ultrasound tech was like, yeah, from what I see, it looks a little bit small, but once I do the calculations, we'll, we'll see. And she did all the calculations and it ended up his stomach was not below the 10th percentile. It was, it was back to the 13th somehow. So she, she measured it at the 13th percentile, which was not a cause for concern. The doctor came in and sent us home. So that's what happened at 37 weeks and we thought we were going to have a baby and we didn't. So that was 37 weeks. And at that point we just got sent home and I just had routine um, appointments after that. So I had my 38 week and then my 39 week, it was a Friday and I was turning 40 weeks that following Monday. So it was just a few days before 40 weeks. And at that, that appointment, um, they, my doctor scheduled my induction for the next Thursday. So at that point I would have been 40 weeks and three days, three or four days. Um, so that was scheduled and I was hoping and praying that I would go into labor naturally because after this whole induction scare or what, not even scare, but, um, the whole thing at 37 weeks, I was just praying to go naturally because I really wanted to just experience going into labor naturally 40 weeks hit and nothing was happening. I actually, during my 39 week, on that Monday, I experienced false labor. I was having consistent contractions about eight to 10 minutes apart and they were somewhat painful. And, you know, this is my first kid. So I had, I didn't really know what contractions would feel like. I've been told that they felt like really strong period pains and a lot of back pain, um, which is what I was experiencing every eight to 10 minutes. And that was consistent for a while, about, I would say like 12 hours. And So that was frustrating because they never got closer together and they didn't get stronger. So 
I was a little bit disappointed at that point. So 40 weeks hits. And at this point, I I feel like I was not defeated, but I was going to wait until these contractions were super close together and they were super painful to even to even consider going that I was going into labor because I didn't want to get my hopes up again. Starting off on Tuesday night. So I was 40 weeks and one day I started to get those consistent contractions get about every eight to 10 minutes. And so my husband and I, we went on a long walk and we came home. I took a bath and they were still eight to 10 minutes apart and they started to get a little bit stronger. But I, at that point, I kind of stopped just timing them because I didn't want to get my hopes up again until it was about 10 PM. I was getting ready for bed and I got the bloody show. And so I just knew at that point that labor was hopefully start gonna, going to start soon. That was a good sign that I was hopefully progressing and dilating a little bit. I decided just to try and go to bed, try and get some sleep. And I think I woke up. So this was Tuesday night going into Wednesday morning. And probably Wednesday morning around midnight, one o'clock-ish, I started to get contractions that I could no longer sleep through. And I didn't want to wake my husband up because I wanted him to sleep. And I didn't want to get his hopes up either, just in case. And so I went into the living room and I um, just laid out into living, laid out in the living room, and I would get up and walk when I would have a contraction because I couldn't sit down. And that's when I actually texted Jen that morning, or like, yeah, it was really early morning um, because she was working a 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift and she was awake, which was really really helpful because I didn't want to wake my husband up, but I wanted to talk to somebody and. Lucky enough, one of my best friends is a labor and delivery nurse. So um, it just worked out that, you know, you were working. I got to talk to you through that whole thing because I'm freaking out and had no idea what to expect. So um, you were able just to really help me through those couple hours of laboring at home and not panic. And so you texted me and I was so excited and you were like, I don't know. And you had the bloody show. And I was like, no, you are, you are. And I'm not saying that's, you know, everybody hundred percent time true, but if you're having bloody show that almost always is only going to come from cervical change really. And you were contracting like, you know, every eight to 10 minutes still even, but you were like, you know, I'm having a significant amount of bloody show. And you didn't send me a picture of yours. I think you sent me a Google like stock image of what it looked like. (laughs) So you, you just picked an image off Google and you were like, it looks like this every time I go to the bathroom and it was like a significant amount of bloody show and you kept on having it and your contractions were getting stronger and they started getting closer. And I was texting her all night and I was so excited And you kept saying, I don't want to wake up Seth yet. And finally, I don't know if I woke him up or if you finally went and woke him up, woke him up, but I texted Sebastian's (laughs) husband and I said, your wife is in labor, like alone right now in pain. And I said, um, go rub her feet and tell her how good of a job she's doing. (laughs) Yeah. And that, that woke him up. He was, he was up and he was like, why didn't you wake me up earlier? And, and I just, I don't know, being stubborn, you know, and um, yeah, so he was up at that point. And I think that so I had the bloody show and then I threw up and that is what freaked me out because I, I mean, obviously nobody likes to throw up and I was just scared that maybe that wasn't a good thing. And so I ended up calling my doctor who was on call at the hospital at the time, which is really nice too. And she said, why don't you just come on in? get checked and um, we'll go from there. 
So at this point, we were really hoping and praying that I was somewhat dilated more so that I could stay. And um, so we get to, we packed our bags again and we went to the hospital um, and we got checked into triage and I was, I got sent back into the room. And at that point I was again, just really nervous. Just being at the hospital was, is uh, for me just a little bit, gives me some anxiety. Um, but I'm really thankful that I went in at 37 weeks and stayed the night because I feel like that helped me prepare for um, going into labor and having a baby at the hospital. So that was actually really nice. Now looking back at it, I might've thought 37 weeks, that was annoying that I had to stay there, but looking back, it was probably more helpful than anything because I going in this time, we knew exactly where to go, what to do. And that eased my anxiety a little bit. So we got checked in and uh, a nurse came in to check my dilation after asking all the, you know, the standard questions that you have to answer and she checked my dilation. I was four centimeters dilated, which was great because previously at my, um, 39 week appointment, I was only one centimeter dilated. So I had made some progress and they decided to keep me as I was waiting for my labor and delivery room to open up. The nurses gave me an IV. And so this is kind of where my labor story got a little rough. I had never gotten an IV before and I'm terrified of needles and they blew two veins and finally got it on the third. But at this point I was crying. I was really upset. Um, I never had an IV before and I, I'm such a baby when it comes to shots or anything needle related. So that was a little bit rough and I, was, I had already been crying and mind you, I'm four centimeters dilated, having contractions, crying because of an, an IV and my poor husband doesn't even he was so worried about me and I was already frustrated and worried and haven't even gone and haven't even started pushing yet. So, um, and I knew the epidural was going to come too. So I think that I was just really working myself up, um, all these emotions while I was in triage. So my husband just tried to calm me down. We prayed, we get moved over into there. And at that point, um, we are introduced to our two nurses that were going to be with us all night. So, at this point, I think I think we got to the hospital around 5 or 6 a.m. So at this point, it's probably 7 a.m. on Wednesday. And I was supposed to be induced that Thursday. So thankfully, went into labor naturally, and we are already there and just waiting. And the nurses said I could get my epidural whenever. So I decided to wait a little bit because I wanted to be able to move. And it got pretty intense. So I was like, okay, give me my epidural. And so um, it was probably 15 minutes after I asked for it that the anesthesiologist came in and this is where things got really rough for me. So my epidural actually took three different tries. I was, you know, put at the edge of the bed, asked to bend over, like arch my back so that my spine can open up a little bit. And so if anybody has ever experienced an epidural, you would know that that is a pretty uncomfortable position to stay in. And I was in that position for at least 45 minutes because it took them so long to um, do the epidural. So a few things happened. They would do the numbing cream or numbing shot, and that didn't work. And so the anesthesiologist said, you need to tell me if you can feel it to the left or the right and if there's pressure or pain. And I, as soon as she did it the first time, I told her, I said, I feel pain and it's to the right. And she kind of blew it off like I wasn't telling her the truth or like I didn't know what I was talking about, which was kind of frustrating. And at this point, I was getting really uncomfortable. My neck hurt and and I could feel everything. So I was getting really, really upset. And my husband's sitting ac standing across from me, holding my hands and just reminding me like, you need to stay still. You need to keep your head down. It's going to be okay. And by 
the second time she tried. So she pulled everything out and she tried to, to numb me again. And that also didn't work. And I kept telling her over and over and over again that it hurts and I can feel exactly where it is. It was on the right. I could feel, I could feel everything. So I was getting really frustrated. And at this point I'm, I'm hysterically crying. I can barely keep my head down. The one nurse is underneath the table holding the monitors to me because they kept falling off. And the other nurse was grabbing cold washcloths to put on the back of my neck, which was really helpful. But at that point, I didn't care about anything but getting this over with. So after the second time, the anesthesiologist said to me, said, you have to sit still. Otherwise, we won't be able to do this. And so that must have kicked in in my brain somewhere. And I forced myself to sit there and be really still. And again, I still felt everything. So at that point, she she got the catheter in um, and she taped me up, taped my whole back up. And she said it was in and it was good. And we'll see if it works. So at that point, I had to lay down for 20 minutes, completely flat on the bed and just wait. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just hoping that it works. And after all of that, I mean, I'm exhausted from crying, exhausted from having contractions, you know, and just really praying that it would work. And after 20 minutes, she came back in and she said, okay, uh, move your legs. And I could, I had full function of my legs and she was like, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. And she touched my legs and I could feel everything from my waist down. She grabbed a cotton ball and wet it and she would, she put it on my hand so I could feel it. And then she put it on different parts of my leg and I could feel all of it the exact same. So that was a concern. The only thing that was numb was I could, I couldn't really feel my contractions anymore. And I part of my thigh was numb and my right foot was really hot. So she was like, just give us some more time and we will reevaluate in a little bit. Maybe it just needs more time to pump through your system. So she came back in like 10 minutes later, still the same thing. And she gave me an extra dose of some kind of medicine. I don't even remember what it was, but um, that didn't work either. So at that point we were just kind of talking about like what my options were and um, she didn't really sound like she wanted to do it again. And I honestly didn't want to go through it again because it was such a traumatic experience. The first three times I had it, you know, had it done. We just didn't really know what to do. I asked for a different anesthesiologist at that point too. So she left and I just talking to the nurses and I asked for someone else just for a second opinion to see what they thought. So while we were waiting for them, I had, the nurse had to give me a catheter to drain my bladder. She did that every three hours. So Mind you, my I still had full function of my legs. I could have walked to the bathroom if I wasn't hooked up to a bunch of things. But um, she wanted to use the catheter and she put it in. And it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced. I would say it was more painful than pushing. Like it was, It felt like needles going in. And I screamed at the top of my lungs because I was not expecting that. She told me that it would be completely numb since I had an epidural. And she was even shocked that it hurt so bad. She said that that has never happened before and that she was so sorry and it had to come out. So she drained my bladder and then she had to pull it out and it was just as painful. So that was our first sign that nothing in the vagina area was numbed, which was really concerning because I was kind of hoping that, you know, since I didn't feel my contractions in my stomach area, that maybe there was a chance that I know was at least 
numbed and maybe my legs just weren't but that was not the case because I could feel everything down there and then a resident came in to check my dilation and I could feel everything with the cervical check and he was again concerned and said that that wasn't normal with somebody who has a cat or somebody who has an epidural I was just trying to get into a mindset that there was a possibility that I could be delivering naturally which was not my plan at all not what I ever imagined not nothing that I ever wanted I never envisioned my labor to and delivery to be natural without a an epidural. So the second anesthesiologist came in and he pretty much said the same thing, very pessimistic, kind of kind of gave me the option of getting it done. But if I did get it done, he's he pretty much said three things could happen. One would be that it works. The second thing that could happen is that it there's no change and that there are still it's still a spotty epidural and the third thing would be that it takes away the numbness that I do have so at that point even the two nurses that I had they were pretty pessimistic about it too they just had never seen anything like it before they asked me do you want to go through this pain and experience again for something that might not work and that was a good question and I I didn't know the answer that's odd to me that your nurses said that they had never seen anything like that before because I, that I just like, I mean, I've had plenty of times, plenty of times that epidurals really just haven't taken and we've had to get them redone. I mean, the space, they're not even one anesthesiologist explained it to me really well. He said that he's not even trying to drop that catheter into a space. He's creating a space. So, cause I asked like how, you know, how big is that space? And he said, well, there really isn't a space there. I'm creating one basically. And a lot of times, I mean, the space that, that they're creating is so small. So if for some reason they go a little bit too deep or, you know, even when they take out the needle, if they pull that catheter back a fraction of an inch, it, it can make the epidural just not work. And I've had to get tons of epidurals replaced before. So that's just so weird to me that your nurses were like, Oh, we've never seen this before. Like, right. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. Like I just, and I remember you had told me that. Yeah, exactly. One of them had told you that, um, that sometimes the epidural just doesn't work on certain people. And that's also, and I don't know if other people have more insight to this, like as far as, um, you know, doctors and stuff, but personally I have never, ever, ever heard of an epidural, just not working as far as like the medication, not working. Like it is Mm. fentanyl that is an epidural. I don't know anybody whose body just doesn't bind to fentanyl. It might be a thing, but it, that like is extremely rare. I've never seen it or ever heard of it. And I truly, I truly don't think it is a thing. Right. I'm wrong. Anybody out there. But I remember you told me that one of your nurses said, well, your body just might not, the fentanyl just might not work in your body. And I was, I texted you back. I'm like, that is BS. Yeah. Get a new epidural right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And, and even you telling me that was a big reason of why I decided to get it redone because yeah, they were just, I think I think what they were confused about was why it was so spotty. Like parts of my leg were numb, but not all of it. Whereas they, what they said to me was they have seen it where the whole right side is numb, but the left side isn't. They had never seen it spotty like it was for me. So I'm not really sure what they've seen or or whatever, but they just, it seemed like they didn't want to just do the work to redo it anyway. So that was really frustrating. Um, But the good news was right after this happened, I have a mentor that is a labor and delivery nurse at the hospital I was delivering at. And I was talking to her about what was going on. She wasn't working that night. 
Uh, she was actually scheduled to be working the next four nights. And at that point, the two nurses came back in and they gave me the best news ever that my mentor from high school, Joy, she was going to come in and she offered to work that night since they were really, um, they were, the labor and delivery floors are really booked that night. And she was going to switch to be my nurse, which was, I instantly started crying and instantly was just seriously bawling my eyes out because I was so happy and relieved that Joy was going to be there. Just, um, you know, having a nurse that you know and somebody who I knew was going to advocate for me because at that point, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to decide. I had never done this before. And it felt like the people that were working for me, the doctors and everybody, it, it just didn't seem like they had that same insight as Joy would because, you know, she is somebody who is really important to me. It took Joy a little bit to get there. Still, I think she took, I think it was like a couple more hours before she got there. So at that point, I'm just so excited that Joy is going to come in and deliver my baby. Between waiting for Joy to get there, the doctor came in and broke my water. So again, I had did not have a working epidural. And so my contractions were getting stronger. And I started to actually feel them in my lower abdomen. And that started to scare me. So Joy got there and I explained to her everything that was going on. And she pretty much was like, you need to get it redone. I don't know what they're talking about. You need to get it redone. So she kind of made the decision for me. I mean, between Jen and Joy, like just you guys telling me that I should get it redone. That was like exactly what I needed in that moment because I had no clue. So the problem was the second anesthesiologist was gone at that point, and the only one left on labor and delivery was the first anesthesiologist that did my first three epidurals. So I was really concerned, and I did not want her to come in and try and redo it for multiple reasons. Um, one being because, you know, it didn't work the first time, so why would it work again? And secondly, I called a different anesthesiologist in, and she probably wasn't too happy about that. Not that I, like, bashed her or anything. Um, but, you know, I called somebody else in. So I was telling Joy all this stuff and she was like, you know what, I'm going to figure out something. So she left and came back in with somebody else, which was amazing. She must have pulled somebody from a different floor or a different part of the hospital and had a different lady come in and do it. So um, I was so nervous. I don't think I've ever been more nervous in my entire life to go through something. And I was nervous in the first place about getting an epidural. But at this point, it this seems like worst case scenario, I'm going to go through hell again and have to experience this traumatic event again. But thankfully, right before this, Seth and Joy, they they came in and they just prayed with me and they just got me into this mindset of like, I can do this. Seth actually kept reminding me and kept saying to me over and over again, he goes, you are a badass mom and you'll get through this. And he just had me repeat it to him. And it was, it was great and exactly what I needed. So I just kept saying, it's not a big deal. And I'm a badass mom and I'm going to get through this. <laughs> Along with this too, I forgot to mention that I was having, sh- uh, I was shaking uncontrollably, which I didn't know was part of labor as well because of hormones. And every time a doctor would walk in the room, I would just uncontrollably start shaking, almost like I was having a seizure. During the epidural, the nurses just kept telling me, just let your body shake. Don't fight it. It's okay. So the anesthesiologist came in and to, to do it again, I started shaking again, but Um, I just got into a mindset of just trying to be calm and breathe through it. And I'm telling you that this experience was nothing like the first one. The, the shot actually worked to numb everything and it took maybe 10 minutes to 
complete everything. So it, it got to a point where she was putting tape on my back and I just could not believe that it was done. I was like, are you sure you're done? Like every, I didn't feel it. And she's like, yeah, I'm done. Like you were, you were great. You didn't move. You were calm. You breathed through it all. And I was like, what? And I just could not believe that it was such a different experience than the first one. And I don't know really what that was, if it was just in the wrong spot or what, but it worked and it was a miracle. And I immediately started bawling my eyes out again because I was so, so happy. And at that point, I didn't even know if the epidural was going to work. I was just so happy that the, that it wasn't as traumatic as the first time. So I, again, had to leave lay there for 20 minutes, just lay flat and not move. And I'm telling you, when they told me to lay flat and not move, I did not move an ounce. So I laid there staring at the ceiling for 20 minutes and I refused to move just in case that that would have anything to do with it. So after 20 minutes, they came back in and they were like, all right, try and move your legs. And I could not move my legs. And all I said was either I'm paralyzed or it works. And I don't care which one it is. I'm just so happy. And then I started crying for the third time, just tears of joy because I could not believe that it worked. I was just laying there and couldn't move my legs and everything was numb and it was the best. My epidural was working and I was super excited and happy and Seth was almost in tears too because he had just experienced this with me and couldn't do anything about it. As a husband's perspective, if you were to ask Seth, that was probably one of the hardest times of his life too. Um, Not that he was experiencing it physically, but he had to experience it, you know, emotionally with me and not, not have any control over it. And I'm so thankful to have a husband that's so supportive like that because I couldn't imagine going through it alone. Him and Joy there were the best two things that could have ever happened to me during this experience. So after the working epidural, Joy came in and it had been three hours, which meant that I had to get my bladder drained again. Um, Something that I did forget to mention was uh, after the first catheter, I refused to get another catheter since I had full function of my legs. I asked to use a bedpan and I peed in a bedpan on the bed because I could lift myself into it. And I had, you know, I couldn't go up to go to the bathroom, but I was not going to do a catheter again. So I peed in the bedpan, which she let me do, which was fine. But the doctors were like, yeah, you shouldn't be able to do that. So Joy came in and she had to give me um, the catheter again to drain my bladder. And I was really nervous for that because I was like, well, my legs are numb, but what if everything down there is not numb? And all these what if worst case scenario things were going through my head, but she put the catheter in and I could not feel it. And I cried again, tears of joy. And which is a very common theme in my labor and delivery story, because (laughs) I, there was just a lot of crying and a lot of emotions. I was really happy that obviously that was a good sign that everything was numb down there. And she did a cervical check since she was already down there. And at that point I was... I think seven centimeters dilated. So that was good. And we decided to take a nap after that because it had been almost about, it had been about 20 hours since my labor had started. So I was really tired and um, we just needed a nap. So that was at 9 PM. And I think we took like a three hour nap and she woke us up. Joy came back into the room around midnight and she said that she was going to do another catheter and check my dilation. So she did that. And then she checked my dilation and I was 10 centimeters dilated. So I can specifically remember her coming in and she was doing the cervical check and her face just like lit up and she was like, Oh wow. Baby's head is right there. I was like, Oh, so I'm 10 centimeters dilated. And she said, uh, yeah, you're more than 10 centimeters dilated. This, this baby is ready to come out. He did a lot of the pushing for you. And so, I mean, I was just waking up from a nap and it was definitely one of those naps that you wake up and you don't know where you are or what you're doing. 
that's how good the nap was. And then I'm told that the baby's head is right there and ready to come out. So uh, Seth has woken up at that point and we're both really excited, nervous, didn't really know what to think. And uh, so Joy calls in, um, calls for the doctor and she called for Nikki as well because there was uh, meconium in the in the amniotic fluid when they broke my water. So they just wanted uh, two members from NICU to be there just in case um, there were any complications. So everybody got in there. I did a couple practice pushes. Um, Seth got to hold my leg and he was just, he was got to be a part of everything and watch everything. And he loved every minute of it, which is really awesome. And yeah, so everybody came in and I started pushing and I only pushed for 30 minutes and it seemed like between eight and 10 contractions, he was, he was coming out. And so Seth got to see his, his head come out and got to see his hair as soon as it started coming out. And it was super exciting. They even pulled the mirror out for me to see. I couldn't really see anything because every time I would push, my eyes would be shut because I was pushing so hard. So, but it was like, yeah, eight to 10 contractions and he was out. And while I was pushing, I started to tear towards the opposite way. So not towards my butt, but towards my pee hole. And I, the doctor said that he had to give me an episiotomy because otherwise it would just, I would tear the other way. So I had to get an episiotomy, which I thought was like not the greatest thing, but ended up working out fine. And he didn't cut me too far, which was a big fear of mine. And I ended up with a second degree tear. Recovery was something that I was really, really nervous about. Just, I've never had stitches before. I've never had a surgery before. Never even been to the hospital before. So uh, just the idea of having to get stitched up down there was really scary to me. At that point, I really didn't care. And they stitched me up. It took like 15 minutes maybe to stitch me up after the baby was born. So after 30 minutes, I pushed him out and Atticus was born. Atticus is the name of our son. It's Atticus Allen Oswald. And he was six pounds, eight ounces and 21 inches long. And I'm telling you, that was the best moment of my life when they put me, they put him on my chest and Seth was crying. He got to cut the umbilical cord. It was such a, it was such a cool experience and a funny side story. So the doctor handed Seth the scissors and my husband is very sarcastic and um, just a goofball. And he he took the scissors and he said, oh, no, doctor, Uh, I'm sorry. I thought I was going to teach. And he was and this isn't even my real this isn't my OBGYN. This is a doctor that just is in the same practice. But my OB wasn't working that night. So we just have this doctor that we didn't know. And he must have not understood his Seth sarcasm because he was like, no no, you, you have to cut it with the scissors. Are you serious? Like could not believe that Seth even thought about cutting it with his teeth. And he was a total joke, but anyway, Seth got to cut it and it was, it was awesome. Healthy baby. Nick, you didn't need to step in or anything. He was born and it was the best. And they, they took like 15 minutes to stitch me up and that was it after that. Yeah. Just, we got to spend time with him, have skin to skin and they cleaned him up and gave him the vitamin K and the stuff in the eyes. It was great. It was such a great experience after getting the epidural. If the whole epidural thing wouldn't have happened, I would have had the best birth experience. And, um, even now, like that's not going to stop me in the future from getting an epidural or anything. I think that I still would, but definitely glad that that was over and that it worked. It was definitely a, an answered prayer. I'm now two weeks postpartum and doing really well, recovered, recovering really well. And, um, Atticus is, has already gained a pound and is sleeping really well, eating really well. And it's just, a miracle. And I can't even put it into words how grateful we are to have a healthy baby and um, to have had such an awesome experience with what we did.
but yeah, that is my birth story. Yeah, that's awesome. I think one of my favorite parts of your birth story is, and you told me this, you know, prior, but it's when Seth said that he was going to cut the umbilical cord with his teeth. If if you guys knew, <laughs> or if you do know, if you're listening to this and you do know Sam's husband, like I could just you could just picture it coming out of his mouth, like just it's just so him. It's so something he would say. And, you know, some doctors who just don't, some of them just don't have too much sarcasm. So him just being like, no, like you cannot do that. That's just so funny to me, but I love your birth story. And I love how, you know, even you even share the side all about the epidurals and how, if that hadn't happened, it would have been the most perfect birth experience, but it even still was. And I'm so happy that you got that. I, I was so nervous for some reason, like I didn't tell you that, but I was so nervous for some reason, the whole time you were in labor and I didn't want to bother you and like be calling you and texting you 24 seven, but I was like, literally barely slept that whole, I got off work at 8am and you guys had just gotten to the hospital and I like could not sleep. Like I seriously think I woke up every hour to check my phone and you'd be like, yeah, the epidural is not working. And I was like, get a new one. And then you'd be like, I'd be like, what positions have you been in? You're like, Oh, I'm like, just, they just kept me on back. I'm like, no, make them get you on the peanut ball. Like I, every hour I'd like <laughs> yep. have to sleep. And when I woke up the next, like that evening to go back to work, I like had to look back through my text with you. Cause I was like, I have no, I've like half slept, like been half asleep texting you all day through my sleep. That is amazing. I know. I, and even the peanut ball suggestion that worked too, because it must've worked really well because when I took that nap and I was, I had the peanut ball, I mean, he was out and ready to go as soon as I woke up from the nap. So yeah. I'm sure that was a big reason. <laughs> So, um, you said your healing has been going pretty good and how has breastfeeding been? Have you found like any little tips or tricks that you found have like worked super well for you or things that like maybe have not worked well? Yeah, honestly, he latched right away. I mean, I'm sure this is normal for most people that breastfeed, but, uh, my nipples were really, really, really sore and hurt for, I would say three to four days after giving birth. And that was just, we were learning how to latch, learning how to like get majority of the boob in his mouth you know and um because it's just the latch can't I mean he latched really well but we still had to learn how to appropriately latch to where it wasn't hurting me anymore so that took a few days but I mean he's like a pro at it and I'm really thankful for that because I didn't know how obviously nobody knows how it's going to go until the baby is born um and he my milk supply has been really awesome I've been pumping once a day as well just to store up my milk supply for when I do go back to work and that's been really great one thing that I did that I would highly recommend that I was suggested was these silverette cups they're called and you can get them off Amazon they are kind of pricey they're like 60 bucks but they're real silver and they're just these little um, plate just put them in your bra and you just wear them as much as you can throughout the day you just drop a couple drops of breast milk in it and just with the the silver and the healing properties of breast milk, they heal your nipples. And I've not had to use any cream, not had to use anything since I got them. And they've been great. My sister-in-law suggested those to me and they are like miracle things. So I would highly recommend them. I love them. Um, haven't had to like keep reapplying any, any nipple cream or anything like that. And it's been totally fine. They don't hurt anymore. They aren't cracked and bleeding like they were the first couple of days. So um, that is something I would recommend. And then, yeah, just being patient with it and just taking tips and just knowing that everybody's different. I only breastfeed on one side every single time. Um, and I've had a couple of people like make comments that that's not normal and that I need to switch it up and use 
breastfeed from both breasts every single time, but that's just not what works. What I do works for us right now and he's gaining weight and it's been perfect for us. So that would be my other recommendation is just whatever works for you is okay. As long as your baby is healthy and you're healthy and just do what works for you because everybody's different. Yeah. Those are both great little bits of advice. What would you say are like your two biggest In general, it can be about, you know, pregnancy, labor, delivery, or postpartum, like your two biggest tips, I guess, that you would say that you would give a new mom. I would say a big piece of advice would be before having your baby. So anytime during pregnancy is to sit down with your spouse and talk about expectations, talk about how you kind of envision parenting, how you envision um, the birth process to go and things like that. So I remember this wasn't, we didn't sit down and just talk one time about what we wanted, you know, what we envisioned the birth to be like, or what we envisioned parenting to be like once we brought the baby home. This was a consistent conversation that we had all the time. We went on walks almost every single day. We would just talk about our dream of having a baby and what it was going to be like and how much our lives were going to change. So I think my biggest piece of advice would be to talk about that and explain, you know, what, what each other wants and what would be helpful and I feel like we did a really good job of explaining and we still are as we learn how to be parents of what we need and just helping each other out. And I think the best thing since having the baby has been truly helping each other out and not complaining about it. So for example, I'll, I'll feed Atticus in the middle of the night and then Seth will burp him and go change his diaper. Just having Seth change the diapers has been so helpful. And anytime I even ask him, like if I'm breastfeeding and I can't grab the burp cloth off the table, he will do it with no question, doesn't complain. We'll just get up and do it. And that makes me want to do things for him so much more. So when he's holding the baby, I really, I have no problem doing anything that he wants. And so I feel like just that in itself has been so helpful with our marriage and stepping into parenthood together is just being there for each other and We knew that that was going to be something that we had to focus on because we talked about it before. So open communication is the biggest thing because I truly believe, and mind you, I'm only two weeks into this, but your marriage has to come first. And if your marriage doesn't come first, then your relationship with your baby or the baby's life is going to be affected because your marriage is struggling. And if your marriage is struggling, then you're going to be struggling. So that would be a big piece of advice that I would give people who are married and going into parenthood together or even just dating and a spouse or significant other. Those, the communication aspect is so important. Yeah. I love that. I feel like a lot of times we can spend so much time like thinking about like just what it's going to be like to have a baby and, you know, buying all the things and making the nursery. And it's so easy to forget the hard work and the communication that comes with it. And just talking about those expectations help a lot because I feel like having a baby can be a huge strain to some people's marriage, or it can be the biggest thing to build your marriage. It's how it's, it can go either way Mm -hmm. and talking about those expectations ahead of time and making sure, you know, I feel like the biggest thing from, especially for moms, you're tired, your hormones are a little bit crazy. So if you don't talk about those things with your husband and you feel like, you know, you just Mm -hmm. birthed this baby, you feed this baby. And now you're the one doing everything that can make you harbor a lot of resentment and like frustration Mm -hmm. towards your spouse. So talking about those things, and like you said, it's an ongoing process. It's not just like one conversation and yeah, talking about those things that I like that. That's a really good bit of advice because that's something that a lot of people, you know, don't, don't think about. And it's, it's huge. It really is. Yeah. People assume it's going to be all about the baby. And while a lot of it is like the physical aspect of it, the baby does need you 
24 seven, it feels like, but your marriage still needs you too, and your relationship. So without that, it's going to be a lot harder to take care of a baby when your marriage is struggling. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the back on the podcast. I was going to say on the podcast, coming back on the podcast and now sharing your labor and delivery story. I'm so happy for you guys. I am like counting on down the days until I go back. Ohio is where Sam lives. I don't know if we talked about that in our last podcast, me and Sam went to high school together. We, we just have known each other forever. So I'm coming back to Ohio for Thanksgiving and I am like so excited to meet Atticus. I'm so excited. He's so cute. She sends me videos <laughs> all the time of him like sucking on his little fingers. Oh, he's so stinking cute. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming on and sharing your labor and delivery story. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next week to talk more about the bump. And of course, I know you all probably know this, but I have to add it in. I make every effort to broadcast correct information through this podcast, but I am still learning so much. So I am in no way providing medical advice through this podcast, just sharing the things that myself and others have experienced or learned. Make sure to consult your physician before taking anything from this podcast and changing your health. This applies to any guests or contributors that I also have on this podcast. Thank you. And I will see you next week.